This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Hello, folks. Dominic here. Just so you know, there are a couple of audio issues with this episode. The sound quality is not up to my usual standard, and I apologize for that. I have managed to resolve the issue now, and at some point in the future, I will come back and re record these episodes for quality. But stick with me, and the sound will improve in future episodes. Thank you. Hello everyone, and welcome back to the History of Egypt podcast. Episode 137, The Death of Nefertiti. Today, we explore a complicated but fascinating chapter of our story. The last years and the death of Nefer-Neferu-Aten, Nefertiti, the king of Egypt. Today's episode is full of speculation. There are plenty of unanswered questions, and our evidence is meager. But, as you will see, it is a complex and fascinating chapter of Egypt's royal history. This episode was brought to you by Aline, Simone, and Connor, who generously support the show as hereditary nobles on patreon.com. Folks, thank you kindly for your generosity. I am in your debt, and I pray that the Aten and all gods will bless your crops, bring joy to your household, and keep you safe from dangers. To everyone listening, thank you for joining me. On with the tale. The year was 1344 BCE, approximately. Regnal year three, under the majesty of Nefer-Nefru-Aten, a.k.a. Nefertiti, king of Egypt. Nefertiti was now in her mid-thirties, approximately. She had been a major figure in Egyptian politics for more than a decade and a half. In that time, she had seen significant changes in the religious, political, and domestic policies of the crown. And now, it seems like she was in charge of the government. In the three years of her reign, Nefertiti had started to roll back some of Akhenaten's policies. Most notably, she had ended her late husband's hatred of the great god Amun. Nefertiti, aka Nefer-Neferu-Aten, had reopened temples to Amun and promoted new priests. We saw this play out in the previous episode. Nefertiti's religious policy is the major thing for which her reign is known. Unfortunately, there are not many historical records from this short time period, so we don't have a great idea of what she did while in charge. Sadly, Nefertiti did not live long enough to build lavish monuments or enact major political programs. Regnal year three is the highest surviving date for this ruler. So, it seems that her reign was quite brief. 
The death of Nefertiti, and what might have caused it, is a major subject that we will get into in just a moment. First, I want to tackle a brief question related to her power. Nefertiti, Nefer-Neferu-Aten, was in an unusual position. She was one of the rare women to be in charge of the Egyptian state, acting officially as a king. These situations do not crop up very often in the historical record. We know that royal women played a major role in court life and politics, but it's quite rare for a female to become the pharaoh. With that in mind, some scholars have wondered, did Nefertiti rule by herself, or did she share power? Nefertiti became king late in the reign of her husband, Akhenaten. And when he died, she carried on in that position. But in theory, the death of Akhenaten should have caused a succession, a transition of power to the next male in the family. Egyptian society and Egyptian politics were quite patriarchal, and wherever possible, they seem to have chosen males to be the new ruler. With that in mind, it's possible that Nefertiti didn't actually rule by herself, Instead, she might have shared power with the prince Tutankhaten. Tutankhaten might be the son of Akhenaten and Nefertiti. Alternatively, he might be the son of Smenkhkare, that strange co-regent who showed up a few years earlier. We do not have much certainty about the parentage of Tutankhaten just yet. But when Akhenaten died, this young boy logically should have been the successor. So did Nefer-Neferu-Aten rule by herself, or did she act as a co-regent with the young Tutankhaten? This might seem like an academic question, and it is, but it's also an important one. If Nefer-Neferu-Aten ruled independently, that affects our chronology of this time period. If there is an extra three years there, then we have to adjust the calendars of reigns which came afterwards. Likewise, if she ruled alongside Tutankhaten, that affects how we understand his reign. If they were co-regents for a few years, then Tutankhaten's time in office is actually shorter than what we thought. I'll spare you the intricate academic debate and simply say that I think it is too early to call this one way or another. It is possible that Nefertiti and Tutankhaten ruled together, but we do not have any texts or artistic images that would support that. For now, I'm not willing to make a call one way or another. So to keep things flexible and maintain some kind of stable chronology, I'm going to treat Nefertiti as an independent ruler. This might seem unusual in historical contexts, but it's the best we have for now. Hopefully future research will change that picture, but it's something to consider. So in my reconstruction, Nefertiti ruled alone. She became king of Egypt late in the reign of Akhenaten, and then when he died, she carried on in that position. In this scenario, it would make sense for Tutankhaten to not inherit straight away. After all, although Akhenaten had died, there was still a king of Egypt. 
This might have been a controversial decision if Nefertiti decided to rule by herself. That might have upset or offended some people. If that's the case, it might have played a role in what happened next. The king of southern and northern Egypt, Nefer-Nefru-Aten, ruled for approximately three years, maybe slightly longer. But in the end, she too went the way of her ancestors. The king died at some point after regnal year three. Which brings us to the big question. How did Nefertiti die? More importantly, where is her mummy, and where is her tomb? Let's start with the mummy. The mummy of Nefertiti has been a matter of some debate. There are a couple of candidates that might be this ruler. The most popular is a young woman whose body now lies in the Cairo Museum. This mummy goes by the name Younger Lady. The younger lady turned up in a royal cache, buried alongside many other bodies from the New Kingdom. She is commonly associated with the Elder Lady, a mummy that might be that of Queen T, Nefertiti's mother-in-law. The two women have long been associated with one another, and the Amana period generally. So the younger lady might be Nefertiti. For the sake of argument, let's assume that it is her, the Queen of Egypt, who became a king. Let's explore this, and what it means if it's true. The younger lady seems to be a woman in her late 20s or early 30s. This would fit roughly with Queen Nefertiti. We know that Nefertiti started to have children around year 2 or 3 of Akhenaten's reign, so she must have been physically mature, a teenager at that time. Add another 14 years until Akhenaten died, and then 3 more years for her time as the king, and it's likely that Nefertiti died somewhere around the age of 30. So the younger lady might fit that profile. Of course, we have already seen how difficult it actually is to date and age Egyptian mummies. The scientific methodology is still developing, and Egyptologists and forensic scientists do not have a single reliable toolset. Yet. This means that we must be cautious. Just because a mummy seems to be the right age does not mean it is Nefertiti. At best, it is a maybe. Beyond her age, scientific studies of the younger lady have revealed some interesting points. To begin with, the mummy received an unusual type of embalming. You may know that, generally, Egyptian embalmers tended to remove a person's brain. They inserted a long poker into the nose, right up into the skull, and kind of scrambled the brains a bit. Then they drained them out to empty the cavity. Strangely though, the younger lady did not receive this kind of treatment. CT scanning of the body suggests that her brain matter was left inside the skull. The embalmers did not remove it. This is slightly unusual for the late 18th dynasty. At that time, most royal mummies received the brain draining treatment, so the younger lady got a slightly abnormal process. We will get into possible reasons for that in a moment. Moving past the embalming, there is the question of DNA. 
The younger lady was part of the large-scale genetic study published in 2010. In that study, the younger lady seemed to be a sister of the mummy in KV-55. Additionally, she seemed to be the mother of Tutankhamun. Again, we have already discussed this DNA study and the many problems with it in previous episodes. For now, I will just remind you that the conclusions of that study, and its overall methods, have been widely criticised among medical examiners and Egyptologists. So, we cannot use it as a reliable source of genetic information. But let's assume, for a second, that the DNA study was correct. The younger lady is related to KV-55 and the mother of Tutankhamun. What would that mean? Well, even if that information is accurate, that the younger lady is Tut's mother, that still does not automatically mean it is Nefertiti. We still cannot prove for certain that Nefertiti was Tutankhamun's mother. It is likely, but it's not 100% confirmed. So even if the younger lady is Tut's mother, she still could be another female in the royal family. There are other candidates for that woman that I won't get into here. Just bear in mind, the genetic information did not necessarily say what the DNA study suggested. Long story short, the younger lady might be Nefertiti, but she might not. At the moment, that answer is still uncertain. Let's assume that the younger lady is Nefertiti, the mother of Tutankhamun and the queen slash king of Egypt. If that is the case, then this mummy poses an interesting question. You see, the younger lady's body is damaged, quite badly, on her face. Looking at the mummy, the first thing you will notice is an enormous hole on her left cheek. A gash opened in the side of the face breaks right through the skin. Apparently, this injury shattered the woman's cheek and even fractured her jaw. A couple of teeth are missing to boot. It is a terrible injury, and it begs the question, did this injury happen by accident, or was it murder? The gash in the woman's face is stuffed with linen and embalming material. That is normal. The ancient practitioners regularly filled body cavities, like the torso, cheeks, and eye sockets, with packed linen to help the mummy keep its shape. When you were dehydrating a body, sucking all the moisture out, things tended to deflate a little bit. So the embalmers would pack the empty spaces with material to keep the shape natural. The younger lady has that packing, which is normal. What is interesting, though, is that the packing material inside the cheek is not pushed to one side or disturbed in any way. That is what we would expect if this massive hole happened after the woman's death. Suppose the mummy had been lying in a tomb and something fell on it, or someone attacked it. In that case, the packing material in her cheeks would be disturbed. Obviously, if you strike something that hard, it is going to push things around. But the linen is not disturbed, which suggests that the hole happened first. Likewise, the wound itself has bone fragments underneath the linen packing. That suggests that the massive gash happened prior to the woman's embalming. 
The mummy was damaged, and then the physicians cleaned the wound up before mummifying the corpse. Again, this seems to suggest that the younger lady received a terrible blow to the face prior to mummification. As you can imagine, this raises the question, was the younger lady murdered? At some point, this mummy was on the receiving end of a devastating blow. It almost certainly happened before mummification. Then, the embalmers cleaned the wound and removed the bits that would have been impacted. They wrapped the body up, hiding the terrible hole. Then, they placed it in the tomb. If that is accurate, then it seems like the younger lady suffered a terrible calamity, and it is quite likely that she died of this injury. Such a wound, with all the blood loss and physical shock that follows, could easily have killed this woman. If that is the case, the next question would be, what caused the injury? There are two possible explanations. The wound could be accidental, or it could be intentional. In other words, maybe the younger lady died of some terrible but unintentional calamity. Or, she was the victim of a murder. Let's investigate the accident first. The mummy's wound could have come from a couple sources. Maybe something fell on her at a building site. Maybe she crashed while riding a chariot. Maybe a horse kicked her, smashing her face accidentally. Any of these might have resulted in a terrible blow, one that killed the young woman. We can probably rule out a building site accident. If something fell on her, we would expect more damage to the top of the head. But the wound is on her cheek, with no other injury anywhere else. So either she was looking up when something hit her, or that wasn't the cause. A chariot accident is possible. Artistic images from this period show Nefertiti riding in her chariot, along with Akhenaten. So she was obviously in that situation a lot. Now, if there was an accident and her chariot crashed, the woman could have gone flying, only to land devastatingly on the side of her head. Again, this is possible, but maybe unlikely. The damage is quite localized on the cheek. If she crashed from her chariot hard enough to kill her, we might expect additional wounds on the side of the head. So, like a building accident, maybe that isn't our answer. Finally, we have an accidental hit from an animal, probably a horse. This is probably the most likely of the accidental causes. A horse kick can be extremely powerful, and in some cases can be fatal. Add to that the more rudimentary medical technology, and you could see how this kind of accident might hurt the woman enough that she eventually died. So, a horse kick is possible, and it is probably the most likely form of accident. I do have a few doubts about that, because the hole in her face really is immense. I asked a friend of mine who trains horses, and she believed that a horse could absolutely do this. So my expert advice says, yes, this is possible. I will defer to that. The younger lady mummy might have died from a horse kick. Of course, there is still one more explanation. A particularly tantalizing one. The sort of explanation that sells books and makes for good press releases. Was the younger lady murdered? Step into the world of power, loyalty, 
and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Looking at the wound, it is possible that the younger lady's death was intentional. The shattered jaw, the broken teeth, and the gaping hole in the cheek are all consistent with a heavy, bludgeoning weapon. The most likely tools would be a mace or an axe. A mace is a heavy lump of stone lashed to a stick. We see them in Egyptian art as weapons wielded by kings and soldiers. An axe is, well, an axe. A sharp-bladed piece of metal or stone attached to a handle. Again, these show up in artistic scenes, and we have physical examples from Egyptian tombs. So axes and maces could both do the job, and we know that they existed in Egyptian arsenals. Weapons and tools would do the deed, but it takes a murderer to commit a murder. If Nefertiti is the younger lady, and if she was a victim, then who did it? More specifically, who would benefit from a regicide? The obvious beneficiary to Nefertiti's murder would be Tutankhaten, the young prince who became king in her wake. Tutankhaten was a child at this time, so he probably did not instigate the murder. Instead, we should look at the people around Tutankhaten, the members of the court who might benefit from him becoming king. I won't name names or go into specifics, because there were many powerful men working for the palace. We have abundant records for the individuals living in this time. Any one of these people, or a conspiracy, could have been responsible. After 3,000 years, the evidence is gone. We have no tales of a murder, and no record of any punishment. So, if someone did kill the queen, then they got away with the deed. As for the motive, well, that is a bit easier. There are a couple of reasons why somebody might kill Nefertiti, the king of Egypt, the widow of Akhenaten. Firstly, someone might have resented the king for her role in Akhenaten's heresy, quote-unquote. A traditionalist, or a particularly pious group, might have felt that Nefertiti was too slow restoring the old religion. If people were looking for a radical return to the past, then maybe the new king seemed like an obstacle. That is one possibility. Alternatively, one of Akhenaten's followers might have done the deed. Nefertiti was starting to undo some of her husband's policies. She was reopening the temples of Amun and appointing new priests. Perhaps someone who believed in Akhenaten's cause felt that the queen king was betraying her late husband. In this scenario, it is possible that someone killed Nefertiti because she wasn't radical enough. 
That is a second option. A third interpretation could be that Nefertiti, a woman, was a problem for conservative thinkers. Nefertiti had become a king at the expense of Tutankhaten. In other words, a queen had transitioned to the role of pharaoh, even though there was a perfectly viable male in the family. This might have angered some people. Traditionalists could have remembered Hatshepsut and what she had done to take hold of power. The political memory of Hatshepsut could easily have been long, and from a certain point of view, it might have seemed like Nefertiti was Hatshepsut Part 2. For male chauvinists, or strict traditionalists, that might have seemed like a terrible prospect. Was it enough to drive a murder? Well, maybe. It certainly is possible. These are just three reasons why somebody might want to kill Nefertiti, the king of Egypt. To be clear, they are all speculative. We can hypothesize and wonder what might have happened. But in 2021, the evidence is still too meagre to say anything firm. First of all, we can't be sure that Nefertiti is the younger lady mummy, so we don't know if she was actually murdered. Secondly, the motive for a murder is probably lost to history. We can make educated guesses, but there is no smoking gun, no bloody fingerprint to point the way. Overall, I really think we should avoid jumping to conclusions. The true circumstances of this event are lost. After 3,300 years, Nefertiti's death remains unsolved. Hopefully, it is not a cold case. Scholars will keep digging and researching, and maybe we will get some answers. One day. For now, we leave it in the realm of uncertainty. Nefertiti, Nefer Neferu Aten, died sometime in or after her third regnal year. When she passed on, the Queen King's body was cleaned, mummified, and then buried. She went to her rest in a tomb. But which tomb? Where did Nefertiti go after her demise? And is that tomb hidden, still awaiting discovery? Those are big questions, and we will address them in the next episode. The tomb of Nefertiti has recently been a topic of debate and investigation. It will take a while to cover it properly. So, we will dive into that topic in the next episode. For now, let us wrap up what we know about the reign and death of Nefertiti, King of Egypt. Following the death of her husband, the Queen of Egypt, Nefertiti, probably became King of Egypt. She took the throne name Anket Keperu Ra, Nefer Neferu Aten. And with that name, Nefertiti ruled Egypt for approximately three years. In her time on the throne, Nefertiti saw a gradual return to traditional royal policies. She ended the persecution of Amun, king of the gods. She reopened the temples to Amun, and appointed new priests. Nefertiti still worshipped the Aten, 
she used an Aten-focused name, and she probably stayed at her husband's royal city, Aket Aten. From there, the new king directed her government and made important decisions. Unfortunately, she did not live long enough to make a significant impact. Nefertiti died after three years on the throne, maybe four. The circumstances of her death are still unknown, but it is possible that she died in an accident when a horse kicked her in the face. Alternatively, she might have been a victim. Nefertiti could have died in a royal assassination, a regicide. If that is true, it was a bloody end to a most interesting life. Nefertiti died in her early to mid-thirties. She had been a powerful figure in Egyptian politics for approximately 20 years. In that time, Nefertiti had witnessed dramatic upheavals and changes in royal policy. Whether she was an active instigator or a mere participant, we do not know. What we do know is that this woman lived and ruled in some of the most unusual times Egypt had experienced. As king, Nefertiti rejected some of Akhenaten's policies and maintained others. She abandoned the persecution of Amun, but she maintained the cult of Aten. It seems like she tried to balance things. As pharaoh, Nefertiti walked a line between tradition and innovation. We do not know what she believed personally, but we can suggest that she tried to unify the new with the old. Did it work? Probably not. But she made the attempt, and we should salute that effort. Nefertiti died after three years on the throne, maybe a bit longer. The cause of her death is unclear, but it may have been a violent accident or even murder. Either way, her reign came to a sudden end. Now, a young man named Tutankhaten inherited power. Nefertiti's time on the thrones of Egypt was over. The next era had dawned. The podcast will return in one week. Having explored the reign of Nefertiti, I will now devote a little bit of time to her tomb. The burial of Nefertiti and her final resting place are controversial topics. At the time of recording, some scholars are in the midst of a protracted debate. The question is simple, where is Nefertiti's tomb? More specifically, is it hidden in the tomb of Tutankhamun? Join me in one week for episode 137b, The Tomb of Nefertiti. Thank you for listening to the History of Egypt podcast. My special thanks go to Linda, Ellen, Terry, TJ, Neil, Andrea, Kevin, and Jason. These are my priest-level supporters on Patreon. Folks, you are too generous. Your support is immense, and I am eternally grateful. God's willing, the next few years will see your household and temples thriving, and the blessings of Aten, Amun, and all the deities 
bringing prosperity to your kin. Once again, I thank you. That's it from me. See you on the next episode. Oh, and stick around after the music for a brief epilogue. Nefertiti probably ruled as the king of Egypt, Anket Keperura Nefer Neferu Aten. That is not 100% certain, but it seems the most likely explanation, on the current evidence. But I should mention another theory, one that has been kicking around for a few decades, and recently came back into prominence. It is possible that Nefertiti, Nefer Neferu Aten, actually held power under a different name. You see, the Queen King shares one of her throne names with the other co-ruler who appeared with Akhenaten. Ankh Kepurura Smenkara, aka Smenkare, showed up late in the reign of Akhenaten. He ruled for a year or two and then died unexpectedly. That king had married Merit Aten, and he might have been a male relative of the ruling family. This is the reconstruction I have presented in my story so far. However, it is possible that Smenkare, the male ruler, did not actually exist. In some interpretations, the elusive Smenkare might be a political fiction. In this theory, Smenkare is actually Nefertiti. The argument goes that Smenkare has left so few monuments and almost no burial equipment which suggests that this ruler was not a genuine individual. Instead, the idea goes that Smenkare, a male, might be a smokescreen for Nefertiti, a female, holding royal authority. In this scenario, the queen gained power earlier than we thought, and disguised that power with a male public image. She called herself Ankeperura Smenkara, ignoring her female names and appearing as a male. She also married, quote-unquote, her daughter Merit Aten, and appeared on monuments as a conventional male ruler. Merit Aten, beside her, acted as the queen. In this scenario, the female king and her daughter, the queen, ruled alongside Akhenaten for a few years. Then, when Akhenaten died, Nefertiti dropped the pretense and called herself Nefer Neferu Aten. She ruled under this guise for three or more years, and then eventually died. This theory is not particularly widespread among Egyptologists. For one thing, it is slightly convoluted. It requires us to assume that Nefertiti would change her identity to a male, and then change back to a female later on. Or alternatively, she appeared as a female ruler first, and then became a male ruler later. The scenario has not gained widespread acceptance among Egyptologists or ancient historians. For one thing, it seems a little bit convoluted. And for another, the historical evidence that we have doesn't really point in that direction. One of the big challenges with Smenkare was that, for a long time, people assumed Ankh-Keperu-Ra and Anket-Keperu-Ra were the same person. The debate went back and forth for decades as people tried to reconcile all of the textual, artifacts, and artistic references with a single individual. 
It's only when a scholar suggested that the two people might be separate that things started to make more sense. So the idea that Nefertiti is Smenkhkare is kind of a throwback in the academic sense. It doesn't align with all the information we have, and on that basis, it seems a bit unlikely. Obviously, I have not used this theory as my reconstruction. That does not mean it's wrong, it just means that I think it is the less likely of the explanations. Future research may give us more information, but for now, the idea that Nefer Neferu Aten and Smenkkare are the same person seems unsustainable. I include it here to be complete. Save big money when you start your next project today at Menards. Check out our great selection of garage and utility lighting options. In stock, ready to take home today. We carry everything to help you illuminate whatever project you're working on. Shop garage and utility lighting products in store at your nearest Menards. You can also view all of our entire selection of lighting options today on Menards.com. Save 